You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today's show is part of the monthly Waste Not series in which we discuss food-related waste and ways that households can contribute to global change. We'll be discussing managing yard and garden waste and composting with Jim Graham, President and CEO of Try Recycling. Welcome, Jim. Hey, how are you today, Peggy? I'm doing great, and I'm so excited to have you here because you were doing recycling before recycling was cool, so we've got a bit of a rock star and a visionary on today, so I couldn't be more excited. And Jim, can you tell us a little bit about Try Recycling, how long it's existed, and where the idea came from? Sure, absolutely. Try uh Try's 31 years old. We were uh, we got our first license to recycle construction and demolition material way back in 1991. Uh, there were three uh, three gentlemen that were in the construction industry, and they saw that somewhere down the road, landfills were going to be concerned about filling themselves up with construction material that was could be recycled, as well as leaf and yard waste. So they founded the business, and for the first three or four years, it was kind of Let's take in the stuff and then figure out what we can do with it. I ended up getting involved in the business in 95, and uh, I, I actually purchased it in 1997. Small team back then, we only had seven folks, and uh, we were really focused on construction renovation materials and how to get all that wood, drywall, roofing shingles out of landfills. But uh, the opportunity to compost leaf and yard waste came along. And, uh, you know, London was one of the first municipalities to embrace leaf and yard waste composting. And at that time, there were lots of ideas, but nobody really understood kind of the craft behind it. So we were at the forefront of that. We've expanded significantly. We've got three large facilities around southwestern Ontario and in London now. We look after over 35 municipalities, either uh, managing their facilities uh, receiving their leaf and yard waste, or receiving their construction demolition material. We have up to 65 uh, employees. I'm, I'm very proud of the expertise on our team. It is uh, still a business, both in construction demolition materials, as well as on the leaf and yard waste, composting and composting in general, that the book hasn't been written how to do it yet. So most <laughs> days are a lot of fun trying to figure things out, new ideas, R&D on the fly, common sense solutions to keeping all of those materials out of the landfills. Wow, a lot of ingenuity. This show tries to take a bit of a humanities approach. So you definitely talked about your craft and we'll talk a little bit more later about the art of composting, which I saw on your website and the ingenuity you need to bring every single day to simply solve problems. Where can this product go or how might it be used? How might it have another life? How can we create a more circular experience for whatever it is that arrives on your doorstep? So that is really, really cool. And I noticed on your website that you've made really, really significant significant contributions. And you mentioned a couple of achievements, but there's some really cool statistics about acres of forest and all the way through to the Eiffel Towers of metal. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the uh, statistics of Tri Recycling's achievements? Well, we, we, we always work in tons. And so we try and put it into people language a little bit. So for instance, when a, a, a resident uh, in Southwestern Ontario decides to recycle the asphalt shingles when they're re-roofing the roof, after we've recycled that, that's three and a half tons of material per home. And that's the equivalent of about six to 700 blue boxes uh, delivered curbside. We recycle asphalt and blend it with those recycled shingles. We call it a tri-pave. We have made enough tri-pave with those two recycled products 
to uh, pave four lanes from London to Toronto. Uh, so, and these are all materials that we're going to landfill. I mean, we've uh, we've 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 saved over 600 acres of virgin forest with the wood we reclaimed from construction demolition. We typically uh, recycle over 120,000 tons of construction demolition material per year. And uh, we compost about 40,000 tons of leaf and yard waste. Wow. Now, 120,000 tons, City of London only produces 118,000 tons of garbage curbside collection. So you look at the environmental benefit of recycling the construction material and the impact it can have, it's, it's pretty significant when it comes to saving landfill space and getting those, those materials back out as a product that replaces a, uh, a natural material. Yeah, and, and I think those incredible achievements that you just described, you know, pavement uh, long enough from London to Toronto, and it's a lot. And sometimes in the, in the shorter vision, we're thinking, oh, okay, am I going to just throw this in my garbage? Am I actually going to, you know, put out the effort? Because there's a little bit of human energy required to recycle things. And it, but the investment, their investments, every single shingle, every single piece of board, every single can or whatever it is, uh, it's an investment in the future and we can help us feel connected again. You know, we're, a lot of us are overwhelmed with the news or, uh, you know, our past couple of years where we've been living a, not out in our communities as we're being used to, or at least in a modified way, that it's such a hopeful way to know that we're connected to global change with just the small things that we're doing at home with what we're doing with waste. So those incredible statistics, and there's more. Um, so definitely uh, listeners go to the Tri Recycling website and look at these really cool statistics of what's happening right here in this community. And I noticed also that uh, recently, relatively recently in the history of Tri Recycling, that you've made some real improvements through your relationship with the city of London. And how does that work? Well, we, uh, we are uh, the contractor to run the city's municipal enviro depots. So when people go to drop off their leaf and yard waste and other materials, uh, it's, our, it's our folks that are, are, are assisting, helping sort. And uh, with the City of London, we added construction demolition material to those enviro depots just to make it convenient. I think everybody wants to do the right thing, but if it's not convenient, if it's not an enjoyable experience, uh, you know, you can hesitate. So we really strive working with the city to make those enviro depots convenient, to make it a place that uh, it's clear how the people are recycling and and, uh, and and get residents to have an enjoyable experience. You know, and when you come to try recycling, we want to make it easy. We want to make it safe. We want to make it convenient. And we want you to know on the way out how you've done the right thing by taking the time to do that. I think that's an important part of, of, of recycling too. It is a community experience. It's not just uh, put it in a box and leave it at the curb. You know, I very much felt that, Jim. I was, uh, after the holidays, I took my tree to an environmental depot. And it, it was like, I, I was out amongst my community. Everyone was there. And, you know, it was, there was all this real sense of, oh, hey, neighbor, hey, neighbor. We didn't necessarily know each other or live on the same street. But we were part of something that was important to us. And um, Tri Recycling offers a really great service. The environmental processing facilities, just, just some of the things that you offer. And one in the north, one in the south end of the city. And you've got prices posted on your website and fees are a part of life for many, many things. But I see these as an investment into the future. Just curious though, how do you determine the prices? 
Well, Peggy, I mean, there is no, uh, there are no environmental laws or bylaws stating that people need to recycle their construction material, even though, you know, there's vastly more recyclable material coming from that side of the world going into the landfill from any others. So we try and make sure our pricing is competitive or cheaper than the landfill. We had, we do have to uh, make a bit of a call when people are coming in on how much unrecyclable material is in their load. And if it's unrecyclable material, we just have to load it up and take it to landfill after we've picked through it. So our process typically is, it's cheaper if you come in with source separated materials, wood in one load, drywall in another, and then any garbage or mattresses in a, in a third. If they're all combined together, we do have to do the separation, both with equipment and a little bit manually. So our pricing is based on how clean the material is coming in and how recyclable it is. But again, we try and keep it the same price or less than if they went to a transfer station uh, and, and we're shipping it to the landfill. Right. It's definitely, definitely, as I think, an investment in the future. And as you say, the, it's, it's better to um, bring even things that can't be recycled that you're going to manage. So very much a, a partner in um, the world that we all want to create. And your team is um, really environmentally friendly, but you're our spring cleaning partner, it says on your website. Why is collaboration so important? Well, it, working in the environment, working with recycling, it is a, a collaboration. Again, we can encourage people to keep the recyclable material that they're going to bring to Tri or an Enviro Depot separate from their unrecyclable material. It makes it easier for us to turn that into a product on the back end. And we, uh, we encourage them price-wise at our facilities. We try and explain why it's a good idea to do that. So we're all working for the outcome to get as much of the material that they're bringing in from their spring cleanups, whether it's a backyard deck job or whether it's cleaning out that garage or uh, uh, whatever may be the case or a renovation to, uh, to make it easy for them to do the right thing and as cost-effective as we can and make it a little bit of fun too, if it's, it's gotta be convenient. It's gotta be convenient. It, it really does. And, and thank you so much for everything that you shared with us, Jim. And after the break, we'll talk more about spring cleaning in the garden and composting with Jim Graham from Try Recycling. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. We're speaking about managing yard and garden waste and composting with Jim Graham, president and CEO of Tri Recycling. Jim, there's a lot of food-related garden and yard waste from organic matter to old wood, and we're seeing more sheds and uh, smaller scale greenhouses and, and other urban agriculture um, materials and buildings in the city, including some metals. What are some of the basic rules for managing these in our city? Basically, it's, uh, it's, it's common sense when you get into earth. I mean, it really, it's pretty straightforward when you're, you're looking at the type of building materials you're using, when you're looking at your soil compositions. It's not very difficult on the web to find simple, simple ways to do it environmentally friendly. It's always exciting to know that uh, you're working with materials that are real. The City of London's website's very good. Our website, there's a number of other uh, uh, not-for-profits. Lots of links. Um, it's it's only a couple couple clicks away from from finding the best solution, environmental benefit solution to whatever you're trying to get done in your uh, in your backyard. 
Really, really great. Lots of resources available, as you said, City of London, Try Recycling and others. So really lots of places to educate yourself. And Jim, just as we save paper and cans and other household waste inside, we have yard and garden waste that should be separated too. And can you just give us some examples of what the impact of not separating the items is? We, we uh, compost 40 to 50,000 tons of leaf and yard waste every year. And we're, you were talking earlier about the types of things that are required to do that. So this is big equipment and huge grinders. And if somebody leaves a trailer hitch, if somebody leaves a shovel, if somebody puts plastic and it goes through that grinder, first of all, the mill will damage it. If it's plastic or, or glass that goes into a leaf and yard waste bag, it gets blown apart and goes through goes through tens of yards of material that we then have to figure out how to get that out. So we uh, we try on our website to to show folks uh, how uh, what types of materials they shouldn't put in and why. So most people are so cool and so great about putting the right things in those compostable bags. But yeah, plastic, glass, anything steel, please please put that in your blue box. Right. So it's a uh, not just an environmental issue, but a safety for people working in our community at Try Recycling and in the environmental depots and other places where the recycling is happening. So you had mentioned composting, Jim, when you're talking earlier, and you've got a great video on your website called Composting, the right thing to do. And I was really surprised to hear that composting was positioned as an art. And so can you explain this? Well, I mean, composting, you're dealing with very natural products going in. It's affected by the weather. It's affected by the seasonal dryness or wetness. It's been done for a long time in rural areas and in many backyards. When you get into those large volumes, uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of factors that can either slow the process or make a less than best quality uh, with compost. Uh, it takes anywhere from four to six months, depending on when we, when we receive the material to make a finished product. It gets a final screening uh, to under three quarter inch. And that's when it is the best possible product that can be made from natural composting sources. Uh, but again, it's, it's a bit of an art, bit of a craft, sensing the temperature, the nitrogen, when it's time to turn it, whether the uh, weather's gonna change next week, that'll benefit it or be a detriment. So it's all learned through experience. And uh, yeah, we call it craft composting. Yeah, I, it really makes sense. It reminds me of farming when you were describing, you gotta be a keen observer. You've gotta understand what you're looking at, factor in the weather, add only just enough, not too much, not too little. And uh, it's a really cool video. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, you should go to the Tri Recycling website and have a look at composting, the right thing to do. So then when it is a mature product and ready to go, uh, does the city use it in its gardens? And then where does the rest of the compost go? The City of London does use it in their, some of their gardens. They do it in some of their topsoil blends that they use for rebuilding some of their curbs and, and construction work. But 95% of everything that we compost actually goes to Scott's and ends up in their miracle Grow product. They've okay. got a large bagging facility in Delhi where they make, the, they make miracle Grow bags for uh, most of central Canada and some of the northeastern U.S. So London, uh, London Leaf and Yard Waste is uh, finding a home across the province and, uh, and even the, the northeast United States. Wow, not just ideas go viral, but composting also when you think about how far it might actually go. Um, so that's really great. So just what are some things that are not accepted at any of the environmental depots and then how should they be managed? The City of London website, as well as ours, is very good at talking about some of the things that we don't handle at those environmental depots. Any hazardous uh, liquids, any paints, 
Those types of things the City of London does manage at their W12A facility out on Manning Drive, but on a very limited schedule. Mm -hmm. And anything more than what you'd have in a paint can or a jar that you would take to the City of London's facility, you have to talk to contractors like Safety Clean. Mm -hmm. uh, those materials really, we don't want to see them in the landfill because they leach and they're not a great, great thing for, for even an engineered landfill. We certainly don't want to see them in some of the materials we recycle. We, our staff are very vigilant to make sure that they don't come in and they, they don't affect uh, any of our products that we make from the recycled materials. But uh, I, I would urge anybody that had a question, anything liquid that maybe might have chemicals in it, check our website, check the City of London's website. There are places to take it through the City of London, like I said, Manning Drive, but those are the things we don't want to see. Right. Then it's nice to know clearly what what can't go into just the city or try recycling, composting or waste management systems. I think the message, though, as you have reinforced, I think, time and time again, not only on your website, but in the show today, is that there is a solution. There is an answer. Um, many people, yourself, the city, other other companies, some you just mentioned, are trying to make it as convenient as possible. So therefore it's achievable as possible. Um, Jim, you've been recycling and composting yard and garden waste for a really long time. And what's one of the happiest experiences that you've had in this line of work? Oh my gosh, sometimes they're daily, yeah, uh, but it yeah. is reflecting back and going, wow, like we've, had, we've kept over 2 million tons of material, construction material. We've recycled over 2 million tons of construction material that in most other places in Ontario would have gone into a landfill. So when we reflect on that and we go, wow, all those weird and wonderful ideas we had on how to turn drywall into kitty litter or drywall into absorbal uh, or drywall into something that goes on a farm, all those whiteboarding sessions were going, that added up to this. Myself and the team, uh, we, we, we feel pretty proud of some of the ideas that are creative to London, creative to Southwestern Ontario. Uh, we've taken a very rural approach to it. We've got this, what could it replace? Okay, what are the steps? Uh, so, so that's always fun to reflect on, on how many times we've done and, and uh, how many folks have participated with us to do that. That's really great. A, a great team, a wonderful city, and, and clearly spec like really great outcomes. And there's more to come. We've got some other announcements coming later in this year about more recycling and what can be done in the city. So, so really fantastic. And Jim, this show is called Food for the Future. And it may be a silly question after everything we've talked about already in the show, but how does recycling and composting contribute to a flourishing food system for many generations to come? Certainly the composting, it's, there's no better additive to the soil, no more natural additive to the soil. And we do, we, we have done many, many blends of types of compost for specific crops. I think with a lot of farmers looking to, to do more organically, they're going to be looking towards compost to do that more and more. Uh, so that's exciting. And, you know, down the road, you know, food waste composting is something that's a very popular topic. And the next generation of the effort to take a box to the to a, a, with food waste, a, a green box to the curb, you're going to see the maximum environmental benefit that can be done internationally. So it's exciting that, you know, we're into the sort of 2.0 food waste composting, and it is going to be able to go from the curb through some minor processing back to the field. That's something we're looking at and we find very exciting. And I know many uh, homeowners uh, are looking forward to seeing that full cycle and, and transparency in doing so. Right. Really, really, really cool message. And thank you, Jim, to you and your team and, and Jay and everyone at the City of London for the leadership and the inspiration and the outcomes. I'm just so impressed at the ingenuity and the, just the real positive impact that the entire group's making.
Well, thanks, Peggy. And again, it's Londoners too. Uh, we, uh, we we pick up their vibe on on how to help them do it. And uh, you know, we got we got something special going on in southwestern Ontario that uh, I don't think we stop and acknowledge ourselves well enough for. Give ourselves a pat on the back and look out into our backyard, look out into our field, look out into our our uh, construction site, and say a lot of this stuff is because we've made the effort to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The listeners, the community, wonderful, wonderful final messages. Thank you very much, Jim. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking about managing garden waste and composting with Jim Graham, President and CEO of Try Recycling. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about, how can your household help by recycling? Something to do, visit tryrecycling.com to learn about its history and the environmental services currently available in our community. Next week on the show, it's City Farming. We'll discuss mistakes to avoid when planning your edible garden with Amy Turnbull, Master Gardener. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you've been listening to Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burnbray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.